attractions. But the meeting Buck up, little buckaroo. Don't let the monkeys get to you. Hold on tight and you'll get through. Buck up, little buckaroo. Oh, it's gonna be all right. All right, I want you to know that you've come a long, 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 long way. And you've still got a long way to go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I want to welcome you to another episode of What's Your Excuse? I am the blind blogger, and on this show, I will help you overcome your excuses by interviewing people who have strived in spite of difficult life circumstances and or have overcome adversity, uh, people who have struck out on their own and started unique businesses, people who have real world tested advice and suggestions that will help you accomplish your goals, and those who I just happen to like, admire, and be personally inspired by. And you can find it at theblindblogger.net. You can also find me on Roku at uh, knob-tv uh, on the usual podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as by saying, Alexa, play the blind blogger or play What's Your Excuse? Or Google, talk to What's Your Excuse? Alexa, Alexa, stop. And yes, one of these days I'm going to fix that. For now, it's just proof that I'm recording this live, and hopefully y'all will enjoy my interview today. Uh, but hopefully you will also visit my sponsor, Chip Edwards, at createmyvoice.com. Uh, he will help you understand the importance of being on the wireless speakers so people can find your content in places that they're not finding it now, but places that they're spending more time at, such as their kitchens, lawn tractors, semi-trucks, their cars, any place that there's the, the speakers themselves or the apps, you really need to be there. But more importantly, you need to control the invocation name, the name people say when they want to find your content. If you don't control the name, then somebody else will decide what people hear when they ask for you or for your podcast or your blog. So definitely hope you will reach out to Chip at createmyvoice.com. Click on the contact form, schedule a time to talk to him and let him explain it to you. He can he can make the case much more eloquently than I can. And I think after you talk to him, you'll realize the value of being on these platforms, especially uh, as they continue to grow in their audience. And right now, because of Corona and COVID, they're growing even faster than they were expected to. All right, today, I have a um, very interesting guest for y'all. I met her while speaking at Disability Insights hosted by Amy Bover back in Erie, Pennsylvania. And, October of last year. Her name is Amy Eddie Gross. Uh, she is, has overcome bullying, cancer, mental illness, and much more. Uh, she's currently working on a book called Escaping to the Garage. She is the assistant to the director for the National Youth Institute for Safety and Cyberbullying. Uh, she is also the author of, a, of, the, of uh, essays on her blog where, that are titled uh, Finding the Light. That sounds very positive, something we welcome here on What's Your Excuse? You can find her at amyeddiegross.wordpress.com. 
And y'all will have to view the show notes to find that link because there are E's in there instead of Y's. So Amy, uh, thank you for coming on. What's your excuse? And welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay. Well, I like to start off uh, my interviews by asking one question and hope, hopefully it'll get us off to a great start. And for me, I just have to ask about this book title, Escaping to the Garage. Uh, what is that about? Where does it come from? And maybe you could tell us some of the stories behind it. Escape to the Garage is about how I was bullied in school. I found a love and acceptance at the family garage. Uh, I write about um, um, the effects that bullying had on me in school, emotionally and mentally, and the things that not only my classmates did to me, but also my teachers, and how I went, my parents, grandparents, owned a garage called E.L. Eddie's and Sons Garage where they worked on cars and semis. On the weekends and during the summer, we went to work with my dad at the garage. And uh, we also went to coffee break at 9 a.m. And we played with my cousins out in the barn behind the garage and the junkyard and had lots of adventures. And uh, doing these things with my family helped me get through the bullying in school and help me feel the love and acceptance I couldn't find at school. Okay, now you mentioned being bullied at school. What was it about you that attracted the attention of people where they felt they, they could and should bully you? I have a learning disability. I had a hard time uh, learning things. I had problems with reading and math in school and had to go to a special education class um, many of my classmates and teachers thought learning disabled meant I was retarded and was too stupid to do my own work. Teachers assigned students to give me answers on tests. I was assured that they'd push me through elementary because they didn't think I could do it on my own. So I was put down daily for the fact that I had a learning disability. Okay, and you mentioned that teachers also bullied you was it uh was were there any things in addition to them uh telling the other kids to do your work for you yes uh one teacher because i asked for help in class uh called me a cheater and put me in the corner and then uh, when i and i had to go to the bathroom i was in the corner i tried was afraid to raise my hand after she called me a cheater and snuck over to the line and she made me sit back down. I ended up wetting myself and she called me a retard in front of my whole class. Another teacher, because I was asking for help, put tape over my mouth and a sign on me that said, do not talk to me because I talked in class. Um, another wow. teacher, another Very teacher. Extreme. Another teacher, when I did do my own work and got an A, told me I cheated. There was no way I could have done it myself. Okay, and where were your your parents or siblings at, when this was all going on? My parents were, my mom especially, was always at the school fighting, trying to get them to learn, listen and uh, trying to tell them that I wasn't stupid, trying to get me help, but Nobody would listen to her. She was doing her best to try to help me out, 
my dad worked hard, long hours in the garage. Uh, my siblings and I got along with pretty good. My brother used to tease me and I would mistake his brotherly teasing as the same kind of bullying I got in school and him and I got into bad fights because of it. Now that I'm older, I realize he was just brotherly teasing, but back then everything upset me. Yeah, well, I, I asked because in my family, we had uh, four or five families living within walking distance of each other. And while we may have fussed and fought in our own yard, once we got on the bus, it was like uh, uh, us against them, you know, so I was just curious. Uh, what about after you left elementary school? Did it get any better in junior high school or high school? When I got into high school, I started uh, working really hard to prove to them I wasn't stupid. I started making the merit roll and then the honor roll and was inducted into the National Honor Society. I still had kids picking on me and uh, teasing me and pushing me around in the hallways. A few teachers still accused me of uh, cheating and couldn't believe that I could do my own work. But there was also in high school some teachers that helped me out. Uh, Mrs. Stacy found out I had the ability to write and started helping me join writing contests. Uh, Mrs. Snapper is one of my teachers that helped me pass the SAT. She tutored me and she took me to a one day, one day writing conference that was full of, I was the only high schooler. They were all adults and I spent uh, the night over there at a writing conference. Um, so I had some supportive teachers in high school and some teachers that weren't supportive, some that were judgmental. Okay, now I don't know, but uh, did you also attend college? Yes, I did. I went to Jamestown Community College. I graduated in 1999. And how were things with your classmates and teachers at the community college? I, I got... I had uh, one friend, Karen Nobbs, in college. Uh, I was going through mental illness while I was in college. I was very depressive and depressed and suicidal, so I, I didn't really talk much to too many people. But uh, in college, uh, they helped me get my books on tape because I'm a slow reader. And with the, my books on tape through the National Blind Organization, I was a my textbooks on tape, I was able to get through the reading assignments to be able to do my projects, but they were much nicer in college than they were in high school. <laughs> yeah, that's a good resource you mentioned. I think it's called the National uh, Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic that does the textbooks. And um, a lot of people assume that you, if you're not visually impaired, you can't take advantage of it, but I'm glad to uh, I've been glad to see over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, there's been a real push to encourage more people that have problems uh, uh, accumulating and understanding information to, to listen to it, maybe in a, in a, instead of or in addition to reading the printed word. So glad that was something that could help you. Now, you mentioned having mental illness. Were, were you ever diagnosed officially? And if so, when? I was uh, diagnosed in college with, well, one day in college, they had a mental health group with pamphlets out, set out, 
and I read a tap pamphlet on depression and the symptoms sounded just like what I was going through. So I start, my mom helped me find a therapist and I started going to therapy and they diagnosed me with major depression in college. Uh, years later, I recovered for a while after college and was able to get my degree. I took a year off from college, went through recovery, went back to college and got my degree. And then uh, after I got my degree, I went back into depression again and later was diagnosed with anxiety and borderline personality disorder. Well, uh, I'm glad that you've gotten treatment and that you, you seem to be doing much better, but I think we need to, we need to stop for just a minute. Could you run down uh, some of the symptoms of depression? Because there may be people who are feeling the effects, but either don't understand that is considered depression or are in denial and would, would uh, have a hard time admitting that they are suffering depression if they are. Uh, depression, you're feeling hopeless, very sad. Um, you can't find joy in the things you usually find joy in. You want to sleep a lot um, and you can't think straight. You started thinking about suicide. You're feeling hopeless and worthless, a lot of racing thoughts, depressing thoughts, loss of energy. Uh, some people sleep too much, some people cannot sleep. Uh, some people eat a lot when they have depression and some people can't eat at all when they're depressed. There's a lot of symptoms. Some people react differently with depression. Not everybody has the exact same symptoms. I um, had a hard time eating because of anxiety. I would get sick and I couldn't sleep at night. I'd had hopeless thoughts uh, and had suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Could you touch just a little bit on lack of interest in things that you would usually find joy in because to me that's one of those that's it's a really good indicator that things are wrong but it's not something a lot of people would associate with depression well um for me things that gave me joy like watching funny movies or spending time with my nieces and nephews i couldn't enjoy it i felt depressed uh going spending time with family or just everyday things that you usually enjoy in life, you can no longer bring you joy. You can't feel anything. You feel sad and depressed and you just want to hide from it. And okay. if, now, if, if, you're, if you're comfortable talking with you, could you share some of the, the ways that you managed to uh, maintain your your mental balance and deal with depression when you do find it coming back, uh, back around to you? Uh, right. Some of the ways I have a big support system. I have friends and family and my husband that I lean on and talk to when I'm feeling down and depressed. I also journal. I have my, I journal that I journal out my feelings. I also make sure that in my journal, 
when I'm feeling down, I try to find the positive things in my life. It's easy when you're depressed to think of everything's bad and hopeless and there's nothing positive. So looking for little positive things, just like this. Today, it's sunny out. Uh, today, I got out of bed. Small things like that to be positive about is important. So in my journal, I list my feelings. And then I also list the positive things during my day. And anytime I need to talk, I have a friend, I can call on the phone, my parents, or I just, my husband's always there for me. He knows how to talk me out of anxiety attacks. I also meet every two months with a psychiatrist so he can check and make sure my medication is working well and that I'm on the right dose to see how I'm doing. Right. Um, and I was thinking while you were talking about journaling, I was thinking, you know, uh, when writers have bad times, we write. When singers have, you know, tough times, they, they, uh, they perform, they write music. And uh, so I'm really, you know, I'm not really surprised that journaling is a big thing for you. I, I personally think that blogging is really cool because a lot of people, you know, they start off, the blog is, uh, is, you know, maybe one level of sharing, but then the longer they blog, the more they share and the more they not only help themselves, but help the people that happen to be reading the blog. Yes. And you mentioned um, medications. Uh, what has been your experience with psychiatry and using prescriptions to maintain people's mental health? Now, I've had some bad experience with psychiatrists. Uh, just like any doctor, you have to find the right one that works with you. I've been to ones that over-medicated me, and I had too much medication, and I felt like a zombie. I had one who changed my medicine, and by changing it, took me off all my medication at once. And I went through withdrawal. I took me a while to find one that uh, helped me out best with my needs. The psychiatrist I see now, if he thinks I need to be medicine change, he weans me off slowly and then slowly eases me into a new medicine. And uh, I, uh, medication is hard too because you have to try different ones until you find one that works with you. One, one antidepressant works for one person, might not work for the other. So you kind of a trial and error. The psychiatrist tries you on a medication. If after two weeks or more, you feel no recovery, then he has to wean you off and try you on another one until he finds one that helps you with the symptoms of your mental illness. Right. Now, one thing I think about with mental illness and prescription drugs is we hear about lots of cases where people either started feeling better and decided they didn't need the medicine or they just didn't feel like themselves. So they wouldn't take the medicine. Have you ever had either of those? And would you talk about it a little? I've known people who, um, who decided the medicine wasn't working and took herself off, took themselves off. 
I wouldn't suggest it. If I, for me, if a medication's not working, I tell my psychiatrist and have my psychiatrist take me off because you have to wean yourself off of it with, so you don't have withdrawal symptoms. So I always talk to my psychiatrist before I take, get off of an antidepressant. And uh, when you're feeling better, that means the medicine's working. So stopping it, you could end up falling right back down to the bottom again. And it's not, a medicine is not a cure. It just manages your illness. So feeling better means the medicine's working. And I've known people who've taken themselves off because they said, well, I feel good. I don't need it anymore. And they end up back in that dark hole again. And uh, that's because the medicine was helping them and they thought they were better, but they weren't. The medicine, they were better with the medicine. The medicine was controlling their symptoms. Right. Now, uh, is the medicine in general, is it expensive? Uh, is it covered by insurance? Uh, some antidepressants can be expensive. Some can, uh, some aren't. I have good insurance that covers mine, um, but uh, it, it is covered by insurance. They don't let you have 30 days supply, like some medications, because they're afraid that if you have a 30 day supply and you're suicidal, you might take too much and overdose on, or a 90 day supply. They let you have a 30 day, but not a 90 day because they don't want you to take too much and overdose on it. But uh, it is covered by insurance, and some of the companies for for antidepressants, if you don't have insurance, have programs to help you get your medication for free. When I was in college, I didn't have insurance, and they um, set me up with a program to get my antidepressants for free. Okay. Now, um, we talked about how people bullied you in uh, elementary, junior high school, and high school, and how things got better in college. What has, your been, has, what has your experience been out in the world at large? Because we hear constantly on the news about how there's a stigma, stigma surrounding mental illness and that um, a lot of people are, are treated poorly because we just don't understand. I have lost some friends because of the stigma about mental illness. Uh, friends that turned their back and told me, well, I can't handle you. I don't want to get involved with somebody like you. Um, and in a place that I had worked at, a manager had called crisis on me when I was feeling sad. The crisis came to the department I was working in. I was greatly embarrassed. Um, a manager manager told me that uh, because I have mental illness that I was a danger to my fellow employees and to my customers. I've had dealt with a lot of stigma that way. I used to be a self-injurer. I have been injured in quite a few years. I've recovered from that. A manager accused me of injuring at work when I didn't and I was locked into a room, forced to call and talk to crisis. When I didn't need to, I was in recovery from self-injury and stigma like that has 
has followed me around um, with my blog. I hope to educate people about mental illness and to help uh, change the stigma. I also have people, when I was in the mental health hospital, people had joked around, said, you were in the loony bin, you've gone crazy, and made all kinds of comments about it. All right. So as somebody who suffers from this, because I assume it's not something that's ever going away, what, what are the key things that the rest of the world needs to know about mental illness? Well, mental illness, unless you have a severe type, most mental illness can be treated with therapy and medication and recovery is possible. But you, recovery isn't just taking a medication and you're recovered. You have to work hard. You have to change the way you think. You have to change, make changes in your lifestyle, know what triggers your mental illness, uh, what type of people to hang around. When I was going through recovery, I had to end some friendships because some of them were negative and I needed to be around positive people. Having positive friendships is very important. Negative people will just draw you down further into your mental illness and make things worse. Mental illness doesn't go away easily. Just when you're starting therapy and you're on medication, it takes sometimes takes months to years to overcome. It took me quite a few years to be to overcome and reach recovery and to be where I am now. And uh, therapists are like psychiatrists or any other doctor. You have to find one that works for you. If you're a therapist, you don't like them, they say something you don't like, just don't quit therapy. Look around and find a therapist that you do like. There are programs uh, through, the, through some states that have therapy for you that is covered by the state if you don't have insurance. So just because you don't have insurance doesn't mean you can't get therapy. Some very good points and I appreciate you sharing those with me and my audience and I'll make sure to include those in the description of our interview when, uh, when I post about it. And for y'all out there, I am talking with Amy Eddie Gross who has overcome cancer, mental illness, bullying, and more. Uh, she is the soon-to-be author of Escaping to the Garage. She is also the assistant to the director, the national director of the Youth Institute for Safety and Cyber, uh, uh, for Safety and Cyber Bullying. And you can find her at Amy Eddie gross.wordpress.com. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this organization you work with because there have been a couple of big stories in the news this week concerning cyberbullying. So first, could you tell me what the organization is, what it does, and what your role is? The National Youth Internet Safety and Cyberbullying Task Force, uh, they help with bullying not only online in schools, Alexander Kravec, who is the founder of the program, he speaks in schools about bullying, and he does a lot of program, uh, programs teaching people how to handle bullying. 
They also help teens in other aspects with abuse, uh, sexual abuse, uh, fam parental abuse, and homelessness. They, uh, they put out a blog and I write for their blog. I also have helped them put together events, made phone calls, and um, I received a Saving Lives Award from them for my help as an anti-bullying advocate. I make phone calls for them. Right now, their program, because of the virus, is kind of shut down because it, uh, down here, a lot of everything is pretty much closed down. And where he he's in uh, New York State, and they're closed down. But uh, I have helped him set up uh, craft fairs. I helped him arrange meeting uh, places to give speeches. And I also do the the blogging for him. All right. And what is the address of their website? I don't have it with me right now. All right. We'll get it. We'll get it later. Don't worry about it. Um, okay. One of the, the reasons I wanted to ask you about this is because there's a recent story in the news about a a woman, a young woman, 23 years old, who was a professional wrestler, but she was also the star of a television show on Amazon or, or Netflix. And she had had some interactions with one of her co-stars on the show. This is a fictitious show. The fans were very serious about, you know, the on-screen relationships and started attacking her very viciously. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think that we assume that the that cyberbullying only happens to people with low self-esteem, people who have obvious problems. But in this case, it happened to somebody that pretty much had the world by the tail. Yes, bullying can happen to anybody. And now with uh, social media, uh, once things go online, it's hard to get them down. And it's very um uh, destructive to a person's life. Uh, just because you might be popular doesn't mean you can't be a subject of bullying. And bullying doesn't happen just to children. It also happens to adults in the workplace, in small towns. Yeah, I've, I've said many times over the years when I was growing up, bullying was a lot easier issue because it ended at the schoolyard. Once you were home, you were free from the bullies. But, you know, nowadays, especially with our pretty much 24-7 dependence on the Internet, uh, unless you are disciplined to take yourself off or to block people, there's really nowhere you can go, is there? No. Once you're on the Internet, once they put stuff on the Internet, it's very hard to take it off and to stop it. It's nowhere to really go. And, um, my... Youngest sister girls are not on the internet, which is very good because uh, that way they can't be attacked by people on the internet. Uh, some parents decide that their children are too young for the internet, and some people let their children at young ages be on the internet. And if you do have a child on the internet, make sure that you're watching what is going on. Uh, you have parental control of what's going on on the internet because uh, they can get into trouble not only by bullying, but people pretending to be somebody they're not. And 
it can be a very dangerous world with the internet. Well, and I was just going to ask you that question. So are there other steps that parents, not only parents can take, but that each of us can take to prevent and to put an end to cyberbullying should it start happening? Well, parents should have parental control, uh, making sure what their chi uh, child is doing on the internet. Uh, we can spread the word that cyberbullying is wrong, tell people that uh, what you put on the internet is, uh, should be kind. Everybody should be kind to each other, even though if you don't like the person, tacking them on and offline is, is bullying passing gossip, putting pictures of people that are not friendly pictures on the Facebook and uh, Twitter is not right. And parents should be watching the children who are the children who are doing the bullying and making sure that they are putting appropriate things online. If they notice their child putting things that are mean towards another person, then they should put a stop to it. Talk to the children about bullying. Talk to your nieces and nephews about bullying online. Uh, talk to your neighborhood kids about it. Tell them that you should be nice and put nice things online. Okay, are there ways, or in, in some states, is there a possibility that you can report cyberbullying to a, an agency or to the police? That I'm not sure about. I don't know if you can. Right. I, I didn't know either, but I thought, um, you know, that you might know. Um, and then the other thing I'd like you to talk about is, and I just really, it just really occurred to me. Um, we talk about them as if they're two different things and you're an author and I, and I'm an author. And I, so I think you're going to understand where I'm going with this. Um, a, a troll online is really just a nice way of calling them a bully. Yes. And have you ever had to personally deal with somebody who was saying mean things about you or your uh, blog or your, or your writing online? I have uh, never personally had anybody insult me online, but I have had friends. I had a friend who posted pictures of her kids in car seats online and she started getting bullied. They kept telling her how she was an unfit mother because she didn't have the child buckled right in the car seat. And, and my friend said she was upset and was going to no longer put pictures on Facebook. I said, continue, put the pictures on Facebook, but block the person who is insulting you because they're a bully. Right. And I think this is a good example to show what we, what I think you mean by posting nice stuff. The person called this woman a bad parent, but that person could have just as easily said, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. And it's possible you're not aware of this because a lot of people don't understand the proper way to use their child seats, but your seat is buckled incorrectly and your child may be in danger and here's how you do it the right way. That would have been the, pro the proper thing to do, wouldn't you agree? I would agree. Saying it in a nice way, instead of calling her a bad parent, but saying, hey, I noticed how your child was buckled in. Let me give you some tips. So yeah. that would have been the proper way instead of totally insulting her as a parent. 
All right. Well, that's what I thought. And I wanted to give us an example for people. And a lot of times uh, on social media, people just don't think uh, really about the effect that their words have, do they? No, they don't. Uh, many people don't realize that words hurt. The old saying that sticks and stones break my bones and words can't help hurt me is not true. Words hurt. Words cut, you don't see the scars, they leave because the scars are inside, in your heart and soul. And they do, the constant bullying leads to self-hate, to leads to mental illness, to bad behavior. It causes a destructive path when you hurt people with words. You are hurting the person deeply, emotionally, in, inside. Right. Now, um, your, the title of your blog posts or essays is Finding the Light. So could you talk a little bit about what that means to you and some of the ways you manage to find the light on those days when it's kind of hard to find? My blog is Finding the Light because uh, the light to me is the light of recovery. Mental illness to me is when you fall down a deep hole and you can't get out and it's dark and lonely and and depressing. And you try and try to get out, but you can't. And when you reach recovery, you climb your way out and you find the light and you're standing in a whole new life where you find happiness and joy. Um, for me, I worked very hard through several years of therapy and medication and I write about some of the stuff I learned in therapy, like uh, making a chart where you put your negative side, thoughts on one side, and the next side you change your negative thoughts into positive thoughts. I write, I give tips like that, finding the positive, finding positives in your life. Uh, coping techniques that people could use to reach recovery. And I encourage my readers to reach recovery, that recovery is possible and recovery is the light. I reached the light several years ago with the help of my family, my husband, therapy and medication. And I've worked a job for 25 years Many people with mental illness have a hard time keeping a job, but I have been able to keep my job even in the darkest part times of my life. I still was able to keep a job. Right. And uh, what are, so we've talked about journaling, uh, having a, a, a good doctor, the prescription medicines, finding the positive. Is there some other uh, and of course, journaling, is there, uh, is there some other technique or something you do on a regular basis that uh, you would recommend to people as far as, and I'm thinking especially now because people's routines are broken. They're spending a lot more time at home with their families and we're seeing uh, reports of increased uh, spousal abuse as a result of the coronavirus. So are there things that you've learned through your rehab that could be especially helpful to people struggling with being confined due to corona? Well, with the coronavirus, with everything being closed down, people with mental illness, 
have an excuse to stay in bed, instead of having the, with everything closed down, pick a time that you're gonna wake up each day and get up and do something. Do a craft, go for a walk, go for rides, even though things are closed down, you can't go shopping, can't hang out with your friends. You can still go for a ride. The weather is getting beautiful out. Uh, there's some wonderful places in my area that I walk and maybe in the neighborhood they can find places to walk. And going for rides, me and my husband go for rides. We pick a road and see where it leads us. If we get lost, we pick another road until we find out where we are again. Um, doing crafts, keeping yourself busy is important. You have to have something to do. Staying in bed is just letting your depression take control of yourself. So pick a time when you're gonna get up in the morning, write a list of activities you're gonna do to keep you busy so that you're not sitting and sulking in your depression. Stuff that makes you, that you like to do. I like not only to write, but I also like to wood burn. So that's a craft that I do when I'm bored. When I was going through cancer, recovering from surgeries, I wood burned my friend's Christmas gifts. Uh, some people like to crochet, uh, do knitting. There's all kinds of different crafts. If you've never did a craft before, start one. Find a hobby, but something to keep you busy and try to stay positive. And even though you can't go to stores and stuff, you can still get out of the house just for a ride, or if you don't have a car, then go for a walk or a bike ride. Um, exercise is a good way to help with mental illness. I have recently been working out with a friend. I have lost 18 pounds, but I have noticed myself stronger, not only physically, but mentally with the workouts. So just go for a jog, do some stretches. Okay, and you mentioned, uh, and I've mentioned it too, you, uh, you've recovered from cancer. What uh, kind of cancer did you have? And did that, uh, did that trigger issues with depression while you were, uh, when you were first diagnosed or during the process? I had uh, ductal carcinoma in my right breast. I had two spots. It was stage one and stage zero. I was also diagnosed with the BRCA gene, which causes breast cancer and ovarian cancer. So I had to make the decision, do I want to continue, uh, just have a lumpectomy where the lump was, where the cancer was removed and have continual mammograms and take the chance of getting breast cancer back and even worse than I had the first time or have a mastectomy where they completely remove my breasts. And I chose a mastectomy because I didn't want to live in fear that the cancer would come back. And then three months after my mastectomy, I had a full hysterectomy to, because they told me that if I did get ovarian cancer, they're hard to detect. And by the time you, they do detect it, it could be too far along. So I said, just take everything out I wanna make sure that I'm safe. Uh, when I got the diagnosis, I did go into a depression. I cried a lot. Uh, I had to journal a lot. My husband was very supportive through the whole thing. 
I couldn't believe that something like this was happening to me. I thought that after my mastectomy, I could get reconstruction. I went to see a doctor about reconstruction. They told me because of the size of my breath, I would have to wait three to four months to get reconstruction. And reconstruction would be more than one surgery. And then I talked to, joined a pro, uh, support group called Link by Pink. And many girls in there told me of complications with reconstruction. So I struggled with the decision on whether or not to get reconstruction or to just go flat. And I chose to go flat. But, uh, and so did, did you change in your body image? Did that also, did that, did that affect you in, in a way similar to the way the cancer did? I had to learn to love myself all over again as a flat chested woman. And as I had to look at my mirror and see the scars on my chest and, and be, and, and be okay with it. When I first got out of the hospital. When I was in the hospital after the mastectomy, they kept saying, have you looked at your chest? I said, I can't. I don't want to look. Uh, it took me a while. And when I finally did look at my chest, I broke down in tears and my husband held me. I had to keep looking at myself in the mirror and learn to love myself differently. As a person who went through breast cancers, now I see my scars as a sign that I beat cancer and that I am a survivor. Right. And then I guess let's just go back to the beginning a little bit. Um, the, the book you're working on, Escape, Escape to the Garage. What was it about the garage that was so, uh, so soothing or uh that oh that was your safe place what and you know since it was a garage where they worked on cars does that mean you do your own maintenance uh, my dad my uncles and my grandpa were the mechanics in the garage i went to work with my dad uh, my my i would hand my dad tools wash parts sweep the floor grease uh fifth wheels uh, aired up tires and semis. Uh, my aunt, my uncles uh, treated me like I was just one of the guys when I worked, went to work with them. My grandma was a secretary at the garage. She was always there. When we went for coffee break, I could tell her anything. She was always supportive. She was a very lovely person. She was the most religious person I've known. Her belief in God was amazing, and her support and understanding support helped me out. Also, my cousins, Denny, Russell, and Joey used to come for coffee break, and they, I used to play with them. They were the friends that I didn't have in school. I could uh, do anything with them. They never laughed at me. They always accepted me as who I was, for who I am. I could be myself with my cousins, and that was something I couldn't get at school. So that helped going to the garage, being accepted, being loved for who I was, and not being judged. 
All right. Well, I've really enjoyed learning a little bit more about you. Uh, as I said, we've met at the Disability Insights, and I enjoyed hearing uh, your your talk and some of your stories there. So now that we're at the end of our time together, is there one thing that you would say is the most important thing that we've talked about today that you want people to remember as they go forward? Well, uh, even though we face obstacles like mental illness, bullying, and breast cancer in our lives, it doesn't mean that it has to destroy our lives, but we can rise above them. Where life is full of challenges, and if we keep looking forward and pushing forward, we can overcome them, and we can rise above and live happy lives. Bullying doesn't have to destroy your life. Mental illness, you can reach recovery, and you can rise above breast cancer or any kind of cancer. Some people have uh, harder times getting through cancer, but life is full of challenges. Keep pushing forward and stay positive. All righty. And if they, subs uh, if they follow your blog, would that be the best way for them to find out about the book when it's finally published? Yes. Okay. And that for y'all again is, is amyeddygross.wordpress.com. Well, Amy, I really appreciate you coming on What's Your Excuse and sharing some of your experiences and your, and your lessons with my audience. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we had another great conversation with Amy this time. And one of the threads that ran through it for me was this whole idea of finding the positive, being positive and staying positive. And, you know, how she talked about sometimes you have to write it down and write down the negative words and then copy them to another piece of paper and re replace them with positive words. Uh, and, you know, me, I'm, I'm known for telling y'all that when you uh, finding the positive is like finding your TV remote or your keys or anything else you've lost. You, look, you know it's there somewhere and you keep looking for it till you find it. So I was happy to hear her share some actual techniques that will help you find the positive, um, remind yourself to stay positive, even in the time of, of Corona. And, you know, just an amazing life she's had. She's doesn't sound like she's ever really had it easy. Bullied in elementary, junior high and high school, suffering from mental illness, having to face cancer and just totally uh, accepting her new body image and accepting it um, with love and pride, which is, you know, very impressive. And I think that's another thing she's taught us today is you have to love yourself. And sometimes loving yourself means uh, seeing a doctor, means exercising, taking road trips. Loving yourself just means that you value who you are and that you know you deserve to be happy. You deserve to have uh, a good life, to have friends, family, other loved ones, and to enjoy your journey, to enjoy the experiences, because I don't believe that any of us are meant to struggle here on earth. This is not meant to be sad, depressing, but things happen. And she has done a very good job of overcoming these things that have happened to her. And of course, you know, growing up in a family of carnival owners, and even now the idea of 
my friends that are still in the business or the Carnival Midway when there's one close by is a comforting place, comforting memories. Uh, it kind of makes me think about her and her family's garage. So I, I do hope that y'all have enjoyed her time on the show and that you will uh, follow some of her suggestions and apply them in your own lives and hopefully become more positive. And as for me, I'm working on my next book, The Blind Bloggers, Continuing Adventures, uh, Public Speaking and Book Signing. It's going to talk about 2017 when I went off to do my first public talk at um, DreamCon in Philadelphia and then my first book signing at Dog Ears Books in Buffalo, New York. And the other things that happened during that six-week trip that I took that year. And there are lots of uh, life lessons in it, very funny stories, very encouraging keys, takeaways. Uh, you know, there, you know, it's me. So there will be things that went wrong, things that didn't live up to what I had hoped for. But I will let you all find out by reading the book, how I managed to get through it all and to have a wonderful experience. And it's basically a reminder that you too can have those kind of experiences. So head over to the blindblogger.net and subscribe to my email list. And that way, when the book is ready to go live, you'll be the first to know about it. The blindblogger.net. Again, please visit my sponsor, Chip Edwards at createmyvoice.com, or you can say Alexa play chip, create my voice or Google talk to create my voice or hit the website, createmyvoice.com. Use the contact form to schedule a short talk with him to find out more about claiming your invocation, creating a voice branding strategy that will take advantage of this ever-exploding market of people getting their content by asking for it and listening to it instead of, uh, instead of finding it on their tablet or their computers and reading it for themselves. So I hope you will check him out. Until next time, I am the Blind Blogger. This is What's Your Excuse. And uh, y'all take care out there now, okay? All righty. Oh, it's gonna be all right. All right, I want you to know that you've come a long, 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 long way. And you've still got a long way to go. Shift, post match, stop report. Button. Shift, 